Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, my family and I participated in a staycation. You ever done one of those? A staycation is when you stay home on vacation instead of leaving your home and going on vacation. And we did this because our kids are getting older and trying to manage schedules was not something we wanted to do. And so we stayed home and it was actually a whole lot of fun. We did some day trips. My son and I went to SoFi Stadium and watched two teams that we didn't care about play and it was a whole lot of fun. We did a trip up to Oak Glen, which is a city right next to Yukaipa, and we had apple cider donuts. And if you've never had those, you need those almost as much as you need Jesus in your life. They are so good. And then we spent the day at Disneyland and there were lots and lots and lots of churros. And so we had a really great time. But the one thing that I felt throughout this staycation was this sense of gratitude. I was so grateful to spend this time with my wife and with my kids. And I had this moment where I began to think about how these are the days that I had been praying for. These are the days that I asked God for. And God was giving me a healthy and holy marriage and a healthy and holy family. And I was so grateful and I was so thankful. In this season of gratitude, as we put Thanksgiving behind us and we look towards Christmas. I know for a lot of us, the volume on our gratitude gets turned up. We begin to recognize what we have in our hands and who we hold in our hearts. I think you and I can agree that we live in a season unlike any other. We are privileged, we are gifted, and that doesn't mean it's without pain and without struggle and without issue. But I think this season of life, we have a lot to be grateful for. We have a lot in our hands and we have a lot of love in our hearts. And that even includes the Christmas season. Like you and I live in the fulfillment of Christmas. We're on the other side of the birth of Jesus. You and I get to talk about this season of life using these words that God is here. Like that is something we've talked about since our first breath on this earth. And it'll be something we talk about when we take our last breath on this earth. God is here because Christmas is heaven's announcement that God is with us. And so it's tough to imagine life any other way, right? It's tough to think about life differently, but yet there was a season and there was a time where the people of God didn't live in our reality. Their reality was that God had promised to come, but he hadn't come yet. He wasn't here yet. They lived in expectation. They lived in anticipation. They lived waiting and wondering. The ancient world and the people, the Christians, the followers of God in the ancient world, they could summarize their life in two words, not yet. And don't those words best describe you with your kids for Christmas or maybe when you were a kid, right? Like, Is it Christmas yet? Nope, it's not yet time. Is it time to open up the gifts? Nope, it's not yet time. Can can we eat now because the food smells so good? No, it's not yet time, right? It kind of best describes Christmas in every season. 
But I also have to think that maybe for you watching or for you listening, that maybe that best describes your moments in life right now, where you are longing for things, waiting for things, wondering about things, and yet it hasn't happened yet. You, you hope for redemption, but it hasn't happened yet. You long for reconciliation, but they haven't reached out or you haven't reached out yet. You have this desire for a return home, but it hasn't taken place yet. And when we live in that tension of not yet, of wondering and waiting, it's often normal for us to turn to what we're used to. And what we're used to is fearful, anxious, and worrisome thoughts and postures of the heart, right? Like when we don't know what to do, we just do what we are used to. And those thoughts and those feelings of worry and anxiety actually get the best of us, don't they? And this is what I love about Christmas. Christmas is God's announcement that it doesn't have to be that way. Christmas is God's announcement that better stories are possible, that you don't have to live that way and I don't have to live that way. Christmas says that something better is coming, even in this moment of not yet. And that can be the loudest story in your heart and in mine and in your mind and in my mind. And that's why we're beginning a series today called A Little Louder. And if you're watching or if you're listening for the first time, my name is Mike, and I'm so glad that you're a part of what God is doing here at Active Church. And we're going to talk about starting today and over the next few weeks, what you and I can do when we don't know what to do. What you and I can do when it seems like we're living in this not yet season of life, when we're wondering and and we're waiting and maybe even worry is taking over us. Christmas is our opportunity to get a little louder not about everything, but to get a little louder about what God is up to in our world. And today I want to share with you one specific thing that the people of God did long before you and I ever existed that helped them to get a little louder about what God was doing, what God was up to, and what God was teaching them in seasons and in moments when they could describe those seasons and moments with two words, not yet. So I want to learn about that one thing. I want to teach you that one thing. And in order to do that, I want to talk about some songs. I want to give you a a bit of a history lesson. And it will help us understand why they made this decision. It will help us feel the impact of this one decision that changed everything. When they didn't know what to do, this is what they did. And so we're going to start in the document of Psalms in the scripture. So if you have a Bible or the Bible app on your phone, you can turn there. We will jump around a bit. So if you're watching this, you'll see the verses on the screen. But I want you to see it. I want you to follow along because it's powerful. And where we're going in Psalms is we're going to talk about the Psalms of Ascent. Now, these Psalms are songs that the people of God wrote. They were prayers of lament, of crying out to God. And they used these words to refresh their hearts and their minds. When they didn't know what to do, they put these words on their lips. And what was unique about these Psalms is that they matched the number of steps that led up to the temple. So if there were 24 steps leading up to the temple, there would be 24 songs or Psalms that they would sing to prepare their hearts to meet with God. And even when the temple was destroyed, the people of God would sing these songs 
out loud as a reminder of who God is and what God does. And it's how they got a little louder in seasons that were difficult and that were hard. And so I want to share a couple of the Psalms of Ascent with you. First, Psalms 120 reads this way. And these were the words they would sing. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Psalms 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalms 124, if the Lord had not been on our side, their anger, our opposition, our enemy's anger would have swallowed us. The flood would have engulfed us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Psalms 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And Psalms 135, Praise the name of the Lord. He will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. This is just a glimpse of some of the things that they would say and sing as they prepared to meet with God as a reminder of who God is and what God does. And they so desperately needed these words, especially in moments when they didn't know what to do. But these Psalms of Ascent, they were so desperately needed during a time and a period called the intertestamental period. And if you're not familiar with this period, it's the period of time between the end of the Old Testament and the document of Malachi, and the beginning of the New Testament and the letter of Matthew. For 400 years, there were no prophets, there were no priests, there were no kings that would communicate on behalf of God to the people. In fact, the people of God did not see a move of God for over 400 years. And so they had a lot of assumptions about what was happening. Maybe because they misbehaved, God wasn't listening to them. That was one of their assumptions. Or maybe perhaps God didn't care about them. That was another assumption. The thing that they knew for certain though, is that God seemed to be very quiet in this period of 400 years. And they used these songs to remind themselves of what God was doing. And they needed them because during this time, the opposition of the Israelites was strong. Nations would come in and dominate them. And their number one goal was to strip the Israelites of their identity, of their confidence in the one true God, the God who works for them and defines them and loves them. These nations would come in to strip them of all of that, to get rid of all things that you could see that would represent God and to change the language of their hearts so they wouldn't talk about God. We even see this before this 400 year period in the story of Daniel and his friends. Daniel was a man of God who decided to not pray to the king, even though that was the rule of the land. He was in exile. He wasn't in his hometown. He had been kidnapped and taken into another hometown. And he was demanded to pray to the king, but Daniel refused. And he said, I will only bow my knee to the living God. And he was arrested and thrown into a pit with lions. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know that God rescued and saved Daniel. But the consequences were real and the people were fearful. And not only with Daniel did this happen, but his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which by the way, that isn't their real names. Those were the names they were given because they were kidnapped and they were stripping them of their identity. And these three men would not bow the knee to the king or the idol that everybody had to bow the knee to. And so they were thrown into a fiery pit. And if you're familiar with the story, God rescued and saved these boys. But the consequences were real and the people were afraid of that. And the volume just got turned up. It got really loud during this 400 year period. 
because the opposition was strong. Like when the Persians would come and that first 60 years of this 400 year period, they came and tried to completely destroy the temple. It actually led to the rise of what was called the synagogue. These were little churches that would rise up so people could actually have moments with God in a gathering of community. But what was interesting during that time is that this domination that the nation of Persia had over Israel actually created a divide between the Jews and the Gentiles, a narrative that's strong in the Christmas story. After Persia was defeated, the next nation to come along were the Greeks. They didn't rule for very long, but their influence was powerful. You're familiar with Alexander the Great, I'm sure. And he led the rise of what was called Hellenism. Hellenism was a mixture of Greek culture in the Jewish faith. You couldn't tell the difference between the people of God and those who were not the people of God. And polytheism was the belief of the time that there were multiple gods. Sure, you can believe in Yahweh, but you also need to believe in these other gods as well. The opposition was strong even after the Greeks when the Egyptians came in and they actually taught about how you should prioritize politics over faith. Now, I know that seems so foreign to our world today, right? People of God would never prioritize their politics over their faith. That wouldn't ever take place, right? I hope you're sensing my sarcasm as I'm talking about this, but the Egyptian people taught the people of God, that this is how they should live. Again, stripping them of their identity. And after the Egyptians, the Syrians were in charge and they just continued to create more of a divide between faith and politics and tried to prioritize things that weren't as important as the kingdom of God. There was a season of time where the Maccabean Jews revolted back in this 400 year period. They revolted back and they pushed hard to try to get back their independence, but they ultimately failed because they were more concerned about their independence than their worship of God. And it was around the end of this Maccabean revolt that the Roman world took charge. Pompey came in and crushed the temple and dominated Israel. Julius Caesar was appointed the Caesar and Herod the Great was appointed king of the Jews. It felt hopeless. It felt helpless. But I share that with you because I want you to feel the impact of these songs that they would sing. It was in all of this as they were having their identity stripped away, as they were taught not to turn to God, but to turn to other gods, as they were taught to hate each other and to prioritize other things over God that they said, where does my help come from? I look to the hills and I look for my God, the maker of heaven and earth. These songs have power, don't they? These songs are rooted in truth and they helped the Israelites, the people of God to hold a firm foundation in their faith in God. This is why they chose to sing. It wasn't just a ceremonial thing they did when they gathered as they walked up steps or gathered in the synagogue. It was a reminder that God is who he says that he is and he will do what he says he will do. Even if it seems like he's silent or distant or doesn't care. We are gonna continue to trust in him. We're gonna continue to look to him. We're gonna continue to believe in his promises. And they counted on one promise, the promise of a person that was spoken about by the prophets of God long ago. Like when Isaiah said, therefore the Lord will give you a sign of this person, that his arrival is imminent 
when the virgin conceives and gives birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Just before this 400 year period, Malachi actually said, and he was a prophet of the nation of Israel. He said, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. There was a promise of God. The people had their eyes and their ears and their hearts and their minds open to this reality that the promise was God with us. The promise was a Messiah sent for us. The promise was a savior to redeem us and it was fulfilled that first Christmas night. And all that we've discussed was setting the stage for that. God was preparing to speak his most powerful word to the entire world at that time, before that time, and in the future of that time, in our time. And God used this long and distinct pause of 400 years to add emphasis to what he was about to say. And that word that he was about to communicate to us could be summarized in one name, Jesus. And it was John who spent three years with Jesus that said the word of God, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It was Paul that spoke about this time as he looked back after the fulfillment of Christmas and said, but at the right time, when time had fully come, God sent his son. And then Isaiah, the people of God, will remember the words of Isaiah and what he said about this Messiah that would come and what this Messiah would do. Here's, here's Isaiah's words in Isaiah 61. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord will be on this man, this person. And because the Lord has anointed him to proclaim the good news to the poor, and he has sent him to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from the darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve and bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and an oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion of grace. And instead of disgrace, you'll receive and rejoice in your inheritance. As a child of God, you'll receive a double portion, an inheritance of a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. Can you see these people in this season, in this time of opposition, and when it's hard and heavy and hopeless, they just reminded themselves of these words, these promises, this particular promise of God. And it actually leads us to the decision that they made. It's why they sang. It's why they faced these moments with song and with truth. These men and women, these people of God, during the hardest and heaviest moments, they made one decision that changed everything for them. When they didn't know what to do, they believed God. Not just believed in God. There's a difference. Believing in God is acknowledging that there is a spiritual being that's bigger and larger and stronger than us. Believing in God means that there is someone who is a ruler and someone who reigns. But these men and women believed God. They saw God as an intimate God. They saw God as a God who was for them and not against them. They saw God who would draw near to them. They believed God. They took God at his word. They believed he would come through with his promise. They knew that he would make a way when it didn't seem like there would be a way. And there was this saying that rose to prominence 
during that 400 year period that would influence the story of Christmas and the culture that happened during the time of the birth of Jesus and the phrase that they would say to each other when they felt hopeless and when things were heavy is they would look at each other and they would say these words, I know my God, I believe him. I know my God and I believe him. Yeah, things, things seem overwhelming, but I know my God and I believe him. Yeah, there, there hasn't been an answer to prayer in this circumstance that I've been asking God for, but I believe him. Yeah, I haven't seen a move of God in a long time, but I know my God and I believe him. What they were saying is that our God, the one true God, will do the best thing in the best time and in the best way. So what does this mean for us as we get ready for Christmas? I think a good question for us to wrestle with today is this. What do we do when we don't know what to do? What do you do? Do you turn to worry and believe that it's just all up to you? Do you wonder where God is and why he hasn't moved yet? Do you feel like you're, you're left waiting for something to happen? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel overwhelmed? Friends, Christmas is an invitation to believe God in moments when it's hard to believe in anything good. Here's what it means practically for you and for me. In your waiting, believe that God is up to something when it feels like nothing is happening at all. In your wondering, believe that God will keep his promise when it seems like he's not coming through in your times and in your worry. Believe that God means what he says and will keep his word even though it looks like the opposition is winning. Friends, this is how you get a little louder during this Christmas time. This is how you get a little louder than your worry and your waiting and your wondering. This is how you get a little louder about the God who is for you and not against you. This is your moment to say, I know my God and I believe him. I know my God and I believe what he will do. I know my God and I believe he will come through. I believe in his goodness. I believe in his forgiveness. I believe in his freedom. I believe in the love that he gives me. I believe in his way. I believe in his truth. I believe that he has the best way forward in life. I believe that he's always up to something that's best. Even in the worst moments, I believe he's up to something and that something will bring about good for me and those around me. I know my God and I believe him. This is what the Christmas story invites us to do. And this is what that period of 400 years before the Christmas story taught the people of God to do when they weren't sure what God was doing. This is why we take days like today and we we call them Baptism Sunday because we want to invite people to not just be about words, but allow those words to help them to be about the kingdom of God, that their life would be influenced by this commitment, this conviction that I know my God and I believe him and that it would actually change the way that they would live. Their faith would grow, their dependence would grow, their surrender would be strong, their courage would be overwhelming, would be incredible. This is why we invite men and women, young and old, to get baptized on days like this. This is why I would invite you watching or listening to choose to get baptized. Because it's a decision to go public with the personal work of God. 
It's a decision to not allow that work to stay private, but to go public because when you go public, you are saying, I believe in the God who sent Jesus, who was born at Christmas, who died on a cross. And when I go into that water, that water represents the forgiveness of sin. And when I come out of that water, coming out of that water represents the resurrection of Jesus and the new life that he has given me and the freedom from sin. No longer is my master the things that actually overwhelm me, but my Lord will be Jesus. I know my God and I believe him and I will give all of me to all of him. And this is why I would invite you to choose to get baptized, not because you've got it down and not because you're perfect. I would invite you to get baptized so that you can announce your surrender and dependence upon God, that you can announce that he is God and you are not, and we are in desperate need of him and better stories are found in him. Friends, this is why we say out loud, I know my God and I believe him. And those words change and influence what we do. And I know that some of you are, are local that are watching or listening. And if you're watching or listening on a Sunday, then I would invite you to come to our services. We're baptizing after the nine and the 1045 service. But for those of you that are out of town or those of you that are out of state or even out of the country or can't make it, I want to invite you to reach out to us either by direct message or by comment and let us know that you're ready to make this decision. And we would be honored to walk with you in what takes place next. Your baptism doesn't need to take place on this campus. It's not about where you arrive. It's about what God is doing in your heart. And so let us join you in celebrating life change wherever you're at. And what a great way to start Christmas, right? What a great way to announce that God is doing something in you by going public with your faith through baptism. Friends, what a great way to begin this Christmas season by saying, I know my God, I believe it. And so let's celebrate Christmas with confidence in God. Let's celebrate Christmas by believing God. Let's celebrate Christmas by choosing to lean in and to go all in, to give ourselves, our lives, our hearts to the God that we know and the God we believe, and the God that showed up that first Christmas. Let me pray for you. So Heavenly Father, we depend upon you. We depend upon you for life, for forgiveness, for freedom. We depend upon you for better stories. We depend upon you that you will keep your promises, that you will come through. You will do what it is that you said you will do. We depend upon you. And because of that today, we announce publicly that we know my God and we believe him. And so God, I pray that we would be the people that wouldn't just say those words out loud, but that we would live those words in our life. We ask that you would do a great work in us starting today, especially for those that are considering baptism, and they would not be afraid to take that step wherever they're at, and that we would take, we would take you at your word, and we would trust you, follow you, and be the people that you've created us to be, no matter the circumstances, no matter the situation. We would say, I know my God and I believe him because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. And together we say, amen and amen and amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. 
you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. in Yukaipa. See you next time.